They're 21. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Thank you. You may be seated. Sorry, Frank, I totally forgot about the sound check. It is good to be back here. For the last uh, month, Edie and I have been in Lethbridge on the weekends. Got an opportunity to preach at uh, the church that Ryan's from. This was partially in compensation for us getting Ryan here. And it was very interesting because originally I did not want to go because of the time commitment and the distance. It just didn't seem like that would be something I would want to do. But uh, I saw God do something that I haven't seen for many, many years, so it was well worth it. But it is good to be back and know that it only, only took me 20 minutes to get here <laughs> rather than three hours. So good to be home. Well, uh, school's out for summer, right? I know the kids don't like that, but uh, the teachers do. They get to recover from their post-traumatic stress symptoms. It's a very demanding vocation. And what do you think is the number one complaint of teachers these days? I'm not sure, but if I had to guess, I'd say students just don't pay attention. You know, you put in all this work into explaining algebra to the MTB generation, but Bruno and Beyonce are just not paying attention. And that Bruno, you don't know where his mind is at, maybe in Mars or someplace like that. They just don't pay attention. Well, God has that same problem. In fact, Jesus addressed that issue in his parables. So that's what we're going to be paying attention to over the next month. Now, I have to warn you that the parables of Jesus are not a sedative. They are provocative. They make us uncomfortable, maybe even squirm. So we might even hear a few people say, ouch, this morning. Today we're in the passage in Luke 12, beginning at verse 13, for an episode entitled, Bulk Barns. Let's pray. Lord, you will reign forever. We've already established that here. That's what we know. That's what we believe. That's what everything we do is based on, the fact that you will reign forever. And we're getting ready for that. We're slowly beginning to realize that that changes our lives in such profound ways. It changes the way we think, the way we feel. It changes our priorities. And it also changes the way we spend money. And uh, Lord, this morning we really want to 
enter even further into the awareness of what it means that your reign is, is coming. So we thank you for this time that we can have to share as God's family. And we just dedicate it to your honor and glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. On July 28, 1962, the Mariner 1 space probe was launched from Cape Canaveral on its way to Venus. The entire journey was carefully planned to the smallest detail. 13 minutes after liftoff, a flight booster would increase acceleration to 25,800 miles per hour. 44 minutes into the flight, 9,800 solar cells would unfold. After 80 hours, computers would make the final course corrections. And then within 100 days, the craft would be orbiting the second rock from the sun. But somehow, none of that ever happened. Four minutes after launching, Mariner 1 disappeared into the Atlantic Ocean. What happened? Well, upon investigation, the reason for this costly failure was discovered. It seems that a minus sign had been omitted from the instructions that were fed into the computer, so that a journey of 25 million miles failed because someone neglected to include a one millimeter minus in the data. This morning, we're looking at a parable about a man who failed because of a minus sign, because of something that was missing, something he had omitted from his life, something he just wasn't paying attention to. The passage begins in verse 13, where someone in the crowd says to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Well, that's pretty easy. That's a no-brainer. It was a righteous request, except that Jesus was a carpenter. He didn't have legal jurisdiction over judicial disputes. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? What Jesus was more concerned about were the motives of the heart. Verse 15. Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So that was a warning to both beneficiaries. And he told them a parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. So here we have the reigning world wheat king ready to defend his title. It's like the seven years of plenty that we have in the book of Exodus. He was already rich, and now he's going to get even richer. But he got his wealth honestly, by hard work. As the saying goes, a lot of money won't make you sinful any more than a lack of it will make you righteous. Verse 17, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. He was maxed out, no more room for his profits. That's a nice problem to have. This is what we all strive for, to have enough. Better yet, to have more than enough. But how much is that? A reporter once asked that question to America's first billionaire, John D. Rockefeller, how much is enough? 
And Rockefeller was very honest in his answer. It's just a little bit more. And that's true. It doesn't matter what your net worth is. If it's 10,000 or 10 million or 10 billion, you could always use a little more. Our motto is right out of Dickens, please, sir, I want some more. That's what our life is mostly about. We need to get a little more. So this farmer is not some kind of mutant. This is us. Verse 18. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Well, that's exactly what our economy is all about. Capitalism, expanding your business, making profits, sometimes even obscene profits. He was now in the Fortune 500 Club along with Steve Jobs, Jeff Bezos, and Mark Zuckerberg, as well as that financial wizard Bernie Madoff, a rising star if I've ever seen one. And I'm sure he was going to tithe. I mean, this is the essence of the prosperity gospel, isn't it? God blesses you in abundance. This is what God's blessing looks like, isn't it? I mean, wouldn't it be great to have Bill Gates in our church? Ka-ching, ka-ching. We could put up Canada's own crystal cathedral. But I digress. Verse 18, then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take like life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Are you there yet? Do you have enough so that you can now take life easy? It's hard to get there, isn't it? We keep trying to move in that direction. But he was there. Finally, he would be content, at least theoretically. But it's hard to take your hands off the controls because eating, drinking, and being merry sounds good. But that can get boring after a while. You need a reason to get up in the morning. You need something to generate some adrenaline. Stay thirsty, my friends. Keep straining for what lies ahead. Maybe eventually he would need a bigger storage facility. We're talking about the size of the pyramids. Maybe all he needed was 100,000 slaves to help him. You know, it's interesting that some of the most driven people in the world are those whose ambitions are even greater than their success. You look at the phenomenal success they have, and you think they must be satisfied. But they're not because their ambition even exceeds that. Go big or go home. This is Tony Robbins' territory. There was only one problem. His time had run out. There was a foreclosure notice with his name on it. Verse 20 says, But God said to him, You fool! This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself. Some translations say, this night your soul will be demanded from you. Now that's interesting. God calls him a fool. 
So apparently, God does not endorse the prosperity gospel. There's something far more important than materialism. So this is not the ultimate evidence of the abundant life. On the contrary, this tragic turn of events was because this man had not been paying attention to something far more important than money. You fool. That's a very specific designation in the Bible. Psalm 14, verse 1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. It doesn't matter what their IQ is. An atheist is a, few, a fool, according to the Bible. Even if their name is Stephen Hawking or John Lennon or Professor Redenbacher at the university. But atheism is not just a conviction of the mind. It's also a condition of the heart. It's when we ignore God. It's when we live as if God didn't matter and we don't pay attention. You know, the late, great Stephen Hawking spent years trying to prove scientifically that God did not exist. And he couldn't do it. So he just decided to prove that God doesn't matter. You can ignore him. You don't need to pay attention. And that is foolish. You fool. And you can see the warning signs in this passage. Verse 17, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Notice how often he refers to himself. Life was all about himself. What shall I do? I have no place. I will tear down. I will store. I will say to myself, it was all about him. That's why he didn't even pray about this decision. Because he relied entirely on his own intelligence, on his own ability. It was as if this good fortune was a personal achievement. He was a man with a plan. One commentator writes, he did not acknowledge his silent business partner. That was a reference to the one who provided the basic equity of his success, the good soil, the seed, the sunshine, the showers. Without that, his land would have been as fertile as the craters of the moon. But the rich fool wasn't interested in a second opinion. He relied entirely on his own insight, which resulted in a very unfortunate oversight. He had overlooked something. Where shall I store all these crops? The question is, if what you have is sufficient and even a surplus, where do you put that? Archbishop Trench had an idea. He said, the mouths of the poor are the barns where you can store your food. This was a very poor country. People were starving. Malnutrition was a widespread problem. Children's lives were at risk. And he's sitting at his drafting table, designing bigger barns for himself so he could take life easy. Didn't he see the opportunity? Or was he just not paying attention? Now, of course, he was paying attention to the stock market and to grain prices and the cost of shipping. He was paying attention to the dreams of his mind and the desires of his heart. 
But he wasn't paying attention to his soul. Relying on his own insight resulted in an oversight that restricted his foresight. You fool, this night your soul will be demanded from you. He was counting on having many years, but his prospects were not adjusted to eternal standard time. He was using the wrong clock. He thought there would be many years, but God said, time's up. And just like Mariner 1, designed to travel 25 million miles, it crashed in a matter of minutes because of a missing minus sign. For the late great tycoon, there was something he neglected to consider. Something was missing from his life. His materialism had made him blind. Isn't it amazing how powerful money is as long as we live, but how powerless it is in our death? Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? At the funeral of a multimillionaire, someone asked, how much did he leave behind? And the answer was, everything. Death is the ultimate values clarification algorithm. They say that Richard Corey owns one half of this whole town with political connections to spread his wealth around. Born into society, a banker's only child, he had everything a man could want. Power, grace, and style. The papers print his picture almost everywhere he goes. Richard Corey at the opera. Richard Corey at a show. So my mind was filled with wonder when the evening headlines read, Richard Corey went home last night and he put a bullet through his head. To quote Paul Simon, who was quoting E.A. Robinson, materialism is not the answer. That's not what we need to be striving for. You know, parables are stories with a lesson, and here it is, verse 21. This is how it will be with anyone. It's not just him. This is how it's going to be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. Ouch. I am a storer. I'm a hoarder, but I'm a very neat hoarder, so it's kind of like a, I'm more of a collector. I love collecting things. I don't want to just have one. I want to have 10, and when I have 10, I want to have 20, because I love storing up things that are totally useless to anyone, even myself, but I just like having them. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. So that's my challenge. Not to store up things for myself, but to become rich towards God. What, what is that? What does that look like? Well, we can rephrase the question and ask, what are you paying attention to? What's going on in your mind? What, what's happening in your heart? Because, you know, once you start a, a project like Bigger Barns, 
It can demand your undivided attention. You'll be forsaking all others. You'll just be focusing on that. You won't have time. This is our busiest month at work. I'll, I'll reconnect with God next month. Do you ever have to give God a rain check? I think God has so many rain checks by now, someone's going to have to start building an ark. What is going on in your heart, in your mind? You know, we pay a lot of attention to, to things. We pay attention to our iPhones, to all those incoming texts. French philosopher René Descartes wrote, I think, therefore I am. Well, we've changed that to I text, therefore I am. It becomes part of our very identity. Our hearts and minds are fully engaged in something, in, in what's trending now. But what about our soul? Do we pay attention to our soul? And what does that even mean? Well, Psalm 143, verse 6, is one of the best definitions of the soul. It says, O Lord, hear my prayer. My soul thirsts for you. The soul is that part of us that hungers and thirsts for God. And everyone has a soul. Even an atheist has a soul. But in many cases, the soul is ignored or neglected. It's often in, a, in hibernation or even in a coma. So it exerts very little influence on that person's life. That rich farmer had ignored his soul until God finally demanded it back. You're not using it. So this night, your soul will be demanded from you. And this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. When we listen to our soul, our attention is diverted away from the toys and the temptations and the treasures of this world to those things which make us rich towards God. For example, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 5 talks about the riches of salvation. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God saved our soul. Because our soul is worth more than Apple and Google and Amazon combined. Our soul is worth more than all the money in the world because it's eternal. Jesus put it into perspective in Matthew 16, 26. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? You have something that is worth more than the entire world. Romans 10, 12 talks about the riches of answered prayer. The same Lord richly blesses all who call on him. You know, sometimes in a religion, they try to buy favors from their God by making sacrifices. How much would you need to pay God to answer your prayers? His goodness and his grace are free. Colossians 3.16 mentions the, the riches of his word. I pray that out of his glorious riches, 
He may strengthen you with power through the Holy Spirit in your inner being. That's Ephesians 3.16, talking about the riches of the Holy Spirit. If you had to hire the Holy Spirit, how much do you think he'd charge per hour? You know, mechanics can charge up to about $100 an hour. Counselors can charge $200 an hour. Lawyers will charge $400 an hour. Psychiatrists... $500 an hour. Pastors preach for a half an hour and it takes four people to bring all the money that they make. (laughs) How much do you think the Holy Spirit would charge? What would be his professional fees? I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through through his Spirit in your inner being. That's what God gives to us freely. Colossians 3.16 mentions the riches of his word. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. Would you pay as much for your Bible as you did for your 4K Ultra HD TV? Would you pay as much to read your Bible as you pay for premium cable? What's more important, binging on Netflix or letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1.18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably, incomparably great power for us who believe. So the question is, why do I waste my time storing up treasures on earth, treasures that are temporary and depreciate weekly? I learned a very important lesson almost five years ago. When we moved to Calgary, I had to get rid of 80 to 90% of the stuff I'd been storing up for over 40 years. There was no room. I had to get rid of it. So when I had 10 things and then 20 and 30 and 40, I had to take all of those and I had to get rid of them. In fact, uh, I calculated that I made about 70 trips with my van full of stuff to the eco station, to recycling, to Value Village. Do you know that I was banned at Goodwill? (laughs) They didn't want to see me there anymore because I dropped off too much stuff. So when they call it Goodwill, that's that's just a theory. There's There's a limit, and I found what that limit was. Boy, did I have a lot of stuff to get rid of, and I didn't want to get rid of any of it because it was valuable to me. But why do I do that? Why do I store up treasures on earth instead of treasures in heaven and becoming rich towards God? If you do an informal audit, you will find out that there are things in your life where you have a surplus, you have more than you need. Would you be willing to share that, some of that, with people who don't have enough? And you also identify there's places where you have a sufficiency. You don't have more than enough, but you have enough. 
Would you be generous with that as well? And how about doing an inventory to identify your shortages where you don't have enough? Would you be able to do something radical and give away some of the things you cannot afford to lose? Simply because you love God more than you love money. And that's how you prove it. Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. I've had to deal with that throughout my entire life. Money demands a lot of attention until it becomes the first thing we think of in the morning and the last thing we think of at night. And eventually, there's less and less time for his kingdom. Remember when Jesus met the rich young ruler and challenged him? He said, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. See, for him, money was more important than God. It was all about deciding which master you will serve. And let me add to this. You know, we have the riches of Christ. Do we just hoard them for ourselves? Do we just keep them to us? Or do we share that with others? Do we invite others to partake of the riches of Christ? As far as those riches are concerned, you have a tremendous surplus. And you could spend every hour of the day giving it out, and it wouldn't touch the amount that you already have now. We need to be generous. That's something I have a hard time with. We need to be generous. In springtime, somewhere around 13 BC, a precious infant was born into the world. And this young child was equipped with everything it needed to live a full life. A heart, a mind, a body, and a soul. And afterwards, the Creator intended that this individual should reach the gates of heaven. But for some reason, it never happened. And upon investigation, the reason for this costly failure was discovered. It seems there was something missing. Something was omitted. There was something he neglected to consider. He hadn't been paying attention. Let's pray. Father, we live in a world where so many things demand our attention and our time. And uh, they seem very interesting. We're fascinated. We're enthralled. Sometimes we even get addicted. And yet we need to recognize that these things take our attention off of you. 
And perhaps money is the big one. Perhaps that's where the ultimate decisions are made in our lives. God, give us opportunities, even this week, to show decisively who we serve. Is it money? Or is it God? We want to be able to demonstrate that, even this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.